Good morning and welcome to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning, my guest will be State Senator Wayne Langerhulk of the 35th District. Uh, the reason I'm having him on as our guest today is because he will become our new state senator. Once uh, the new district is totally redrawn and done, uh, he will begin leading us in January. Uh, after these messages, we'll return with him and learn all about him and what his priorities are. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Community County Services for Family, local-based mental health. Hi folks, are you having problems with your child at home? Is their behavior a problem? Are you at your wit's end? If so, call us for more information. Community County Services, we provide family-based mental health. Call for information at 371-8066. We work to help you keep your family together in a healthy way. Community County Services, 371-8066. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. My guest this morning is State Senator Wayne Langerhalk. Senator, thank you for making the time on your busy morning to join us here on Contact. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, sir. And some people, uh, I mean, I follow politics all across Pennsylvania, so I happen to know who you are in general, but uh, my listeners surely don't, and they're probably wondering really why I'm having you on. And so maybe first you can tell us who is Senator Wayne Langerhulk. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so I am a lifelong resident of Cambria County. I was elected to the Pennsylvania Senate in 2016 and re-elected here in 2020. I'm a graduate of Richland High School, a graduate of Juniata College with a degree in political science and a graduate of Widener Commonwealth Law School. And prior to my time in the Senate, I was uh, an assistant district attorney as well as an attorney in private practice. I served as the assistant district attorney in Cambria County. Uh, for a little less than 10 years, I was the lead prosecutor for the Cambria County Drug Task Force and uh, really tried numerous cases uh, involving everything uh, from homicide, rape, arson, to felony drug convictions. And uh, in addition to uh, my private practice, I was also a Richland Township Supervisor, and I served as a Township Supervisor for uh, just shy of about 14 years and I uh, really kind of got my foot in the door and really got to know local politics uh, at that point and uh, just as far as my career being in the district attorney's office having gotten to the point where I had tried just about every case there was to try and I never wanted to become complacent and saw an opportunity that opened up uh, within uh, you know that the, uh, the state senate and, and ran and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> yes, it is. And quite a background, sir. Um, some of the listeners may wonder, like, well, Michael, you're having this senator on. Where's Senator Chris Dush? And Senator's still here. He's still our state senator as of today. But maybe you can talk about the process. Uh, I consider it something of a crazy process, but it does happen every 10 years where we redraw the lines based on population. And maybe you can talk a little bit about that process and what your new district is going to look like. Uh, yes. So, you know, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Every 10 years, they take a look at this and based on population. And uh, across the state, unfortunately, in the western part of the state, we are losing population, and the eastern part of the state is gaining population. So uh, our Senate district is about 
270,000 people that I represent, and, and currently I represent all of the 35th Senatorial District is all of Cambria County, Bedford County, and Clearfield County, except for Dubois. And in going through the process and understanding that we need to gain more population for our district as we've lost population, there was really uh, no way to go other than kind of moving eastward. And being where I'm at, you know, almost three counties on top of one another, I'm kind of blocking that area. So they had made the decision, and I will lose Bedford County, unfortunately. Uh, I will gain the rest of Clearfield County, uh, meaning Dubois, and I will also gain the western part of Center County. So it's pretty much everything from state west of State College Borough, uh, Patton Township, Ferguson Township, Rush Township, Port Matilda, uh, th- those areas uh, in there. So it's uh, bittersweet to lose Bedford County. I made a lot of great relationships. I was able to really help a lot, I think, in the county. Uh, but I am excited to gain the rest of Clearfield County and also excited to gain that new portion of Center County uh, west of State College. Yeah, no, I think um, you've, you articulated it well. The population keeps falling on our side of the state. Uh, so these districts, they seem to get bigger and bigger. Um, you've got a, quite a drive just to get from Johnstown area to Dubois, about an hour and a half, hour and 20 minutes maybe, but still that's a good three hours of just being in the car to get here uh, when you meet with constituents or drive over to Clearfield. Uh, but the drive to Harrisburg is probably a little longer for you. So hopefully uh, it won't be too bad on you, but uh, these districts do continue to get bigger, which... Unfortunately, that's only because we're losing people. But, um, yeah, we're excited to have a new senator. I think uh, voters will uh, enjoy you and enjoy your record uh, that you have. And so we're going to actually take a look at some of your record. One of the things that you've been leading, sir, is this whole fight over uh, the tolling of bridges with the Transportation Department. You know, in the past, uh, as I was growing up following politics, unfortunately, from my perspective, our state senator and state representative then when I was younger— we're actually supporting the, the tolling of I-80. It seems like you've taken a hard stand as transportation committee that you're not interested in tolling bridges or anything else. Yes, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, and this goes back to in uh, January of 2022, I had the opportunity to be named the chairman of the, of the transportation committee. And uh, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, January 2021 now. And when I became the chair of the committee, one of the first things I was looking at was you know, where the committee was, what uh, what the policy was, where the bills were, what direction we could take transportation. I was very humbled and honored to being named uh, chairman of the transportation committee. Just really into a little bit into my uh, right the tail end of my first term, so I was I was very uh, gracious to be appointed that large task and understanding that. Really, transportation is in everything, and it would really be a great benefit to our region, to the 35th District, uh, as I head up that committee. And as we were looking at the uh, you know, various bills that were there in committee and the policies, that, that was the first thing that popped out was this bridge tolling that occurred through what was established through the what's called the P3 initiative. You may hear that now, which is a public-private partnership. And that dates back to Act 89. And when we say Act 89, you know, may, many of your listeners may not know exactly or, or not be familiar with Act 89, but then if I say the gas tax, then everybody like, well, we know what that is. <laughs> and so Act 89 was before my time in office, but at the time that 
it raised the gas tax, which you know now Pennsylvania has one of the highest gas taxes in the nation. Right. And another component of that Act 89 was this P3 uh, initiative, and it it put in statute the ability for PennDOT to engage in public-private partnerships, and that's what they used to uh, levy these these bridge tolls or, or to propose that the bridge toll. And I said, this is going to be an issue. I mean, this is nobody's talking about this. This is going to be an issue. And then you have to look back to when they when they did this. So the P3 board met in November of 2020, and that was you know right after an election. So half of the Senate was elected. However, we weren't sworn in yet until January, and all of the House was elected and just you know sitting there. And there's that that weird time. Uh, in November, December, where you're, you're elected, but you know, just after December, your t- your term is up, but you're not really, uh, you know, completely uh, you know, sworn in. So that was done in, Nove- in the middle of November by a resolution, and it, to toll nine bridges. Now, what's interesting about that is there was not any specific bridge mentioned. There was no toll mechanism mentioned, and that wasn't advertised in any newspaper of general publication, but it was you know, given to us in the General Assembly. But ironically, as I'm the chairman of the Transportation Committee, I had to request a copy of that resolution, and that wasn't forthwith. So I said, something's got to change here. Number one, we're against bridge tolling. I don't think the answer can ever be just expect the hardworking citizens of Pennsylvania to pay another tax or a fee or a toll. That should right. never be our answer, and, and it's too commonplace in the bureaucracy now, they just expect the residents to pick up the slack. So I was against it from that get from the beginning, and also I wanted to reform that public-private partnership to do a couple things. To number one, bring transparency to advertise in the newspaper general population, to allow for public comment, and to allow the general assembly to weigh in on this because really it came at a time when they didn't have to, and the P3 statute was too ambiguous. So that led me to drafting Senate Bill 382, which would do those things. And in addition to that, it would halt the bridge tolling. And from the beginning, you know, as I kind of predicted, that once this kind of got out and once the different members where the bridges were in their districts found out that PennDOT was planning to do this, it created a lot of backlash and a lot of people weren't happy. And we introduced this legislation. And at the time, you know, we were told... Actually, we ran out of my committee, ran it out of the Senate. It went to the House, and you know, people told me, "Oh, you'll never, you'll never get this bill signed." You know, the governor's opposed to it, Pendleton's opposed to it. Uh, they're moving forward. There's nothing you can do. Hmm. So the House, after a while, we, we we talked to the House. They ran the bill. It came back over uh, with a couple minor changes, uh, procedural mainly in nature, and it, it was in back in the Senate on concurrence vote. So at that time, still, and we're talking, probably talking maybe even close to a year ago, uh, same situation. The governor's never going to sign this. You know, why are you doing this? There's, it's pointless. And uh, you, you're going to run this bill. And we had a lot of people say, you're going to run this bill. I said, well, I mean, if that's the sentiment that they're not going to sign this, let's keep working together. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to take no for an answer. I'm an optimistic person, but uh, I'm not just going to run this bill. And they said, well, we could run this bill. And then have a press conference, you know, be on the Capitol steps and show that you're fighting against tolling and, you know, get some good publicity. I said, but that's, you know, nobody wins if we do that. I mean, yeah, you know, you may get your sound bite, but then we go back into our offices and then 
the governor vetoes this, and then we're right back to square one. So we continued to lobby. We continued to do everything that we could with respect to this. And now fast forward to this past budgetary cycle and also some of the things through the hearings that we've had, through appropriations, through the questions that we've raised as far as, you know, who's doing this work? How are you going forward with this? We were able to come to a point, uh, and also thanks to some court decisions saying that they didn't have the authority, all things that we brought out at different hearings that they were using then for the basis for their legal argument, uh, it was declared invalid, and then there was the appellate process going forward, and ultimately we were able to compromise and come to a deal, and the governor did sign Simple 382 uh, into law, which halted bridge tolling. So we, that was a, a big win. I, I'm very proud of the work that we did on that to stop the bridge tolling. Yeah, no, we, uh, as your future constituents, we appreciate it. Here in Dubois, we have two exits off of I-80. Um, very important. Chamber of Commerce, uh, even locally here, got involved to help lead that fight as well at the grassroots level. But, sir, what do you think when people say, like, I really like what you said earlier. I think people just expect the taxpayer to pick up the tab anytime. And I view tolls personally as a, as a tax. But uh, how do, what do you think about how do we go about fixing our roads and bridges? Certainly we have a problem. Your transportation committee, you know that infrastructure is a huge deal across our state. Lots of roads, lots of bridges. How do you like to see it get fixed? Is it, yes, is it just a question yeah, of wasteful spending being cut back? Or how would you go about it i think it's it's i think it's really a combination of a lot of different things uh and you know there's not one specific area that we can uh, address or that we can pull back on spending but i think you know a broad comprehensive look and what i say by that is uh in looking at this and in looking at the committee we were able to draft a comprehensive piece of legislation a lot of different bills a lot of different areas what we call the Drive Smart Act, and what that does, it addresses the full panoply of transportation issues within the entire transportation sector, and there are combinations of things like you talk about. Uh, let's exercise more fiscal restraint, you know, and that, there's a component there to take a look at the maintenance funding formula. Uh, one of my colleagues, Senator Lisa Baker, uh, has that to kind of take a look at where's PennDOT spending that money. I mean, you're not going to and I'm cognizant you're not going to find, you know, billions of dollars, you know, if you cut back spending, but you're going to find something. I'm telling you, you're going to, you're going to be able to, to, to reduce some spending in certain areas, and that money adds up. And that, with a combination of other things, uh, my colleague out of Indiana, Senator Pittman, uh, has a bill to uh, reduce you know, the, the reliance on uh, the motor license fund of funding the state police. And, you know, that's, that's another area. And again, but I'm not, you know, by any means advocating that we should not adequately fund our state police. I spent the better part of my career in law enforcement. I fully recognize what the state police do and the value that they have, but we need to take that money and quit playing politics with it. You know, that money was dedicated out of the motor license fund many, many years ago, but we need to put a specific line item for our state police and allow the money that is raised by the gas tax to go to fixing critical infrastructure, roads, and bridges. I don't think anybody disagrees that, these bridges that were uh, called for to toll need to be told, but the way that we do it, uh, you, know, you know, can be definitely can be done better. Right. I I appreciate that answer. And along those lines, um, if you would like to talk about the budget just for a few moments, um, I know 
and my listeners need to know and understand this, this is a process, right? Uh, Republicans do control the House and Senate, but it's not veto-proof. And so when the budget comes up, it's quite the process. And because we have a Democrat governor, you don't always get everything that uh, the Republicans may want. And certainly Governor Wolf didn't get everything he wanted. Can you talk about that process? And you seemed somewhat happy with the budget, at least. Yes, it's uh, so you know, going back my first year in the Senate back in 2017, we had a one point five, one point seven billion dollar deficit just to close the gap on spending. So mm. that was a challenge and that kind of leaked into the fall months. This year we had a surplus and I think it was just as hard as having too much money than no, I don't want to say too much money, but having more money than not having enough money because having the, the monies that we had due in part to some federal funding that was coming in as well as uh, just through you know fiscal policy that, that we've been able to enact here in the Senate and in the House uh, it was there were people there in Harrisburg that wanted to spend every dime of that and raise taxes, which blows my mind. Right. Completely blows my mind, and and it blows my mind too when we have we have the budget uh, address every year, uh, you know, in February, and the governor this past <laughs> February in his government budget address actually said, you know, under my administration we've never raised taxes. <laughs> I thought, wow. I mean, that technically that is true. Right. You are correct. But it's not through his actions. He's called for tax increases nearly every year. It's the General Assembly, the Senate and the House that is Republican that has been able to push back against that ridiculous spending because we know where we would be. So, again, in this position, this budgetary cycle, they wanted to spend every dime of it and put us up to fail in the next year, the next two years. And we really pushed back on that and were able to, again, deposit more money into or rainy day fund because you know we're not going to be in this position and people need to realize that uh you know there are people you know this governor's on his way out i don't know you know what his thoughts are he he won't be here to deal with it next year we will be and you know the residents of pennsylvania that pay taxes at liquor they will be so right we need to be cognizant of that to make sure that the money is spent appropriately and you know some of the things that we came out that i was you know happy with on the whole is uh we were able to allocate more money uh for highways and 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 uh, transportation, about $175 million. Uh, school safety, we were able to allocate dollars for, and uh, just different uh, things. We cut the corporate net income tax, which I think will be very beneficial and help as you know to make Pennsylvania more attractive to recruit. Yeah, I uh, think that's a huge one. And there. for a long time, we've had one of the highest in the country, right? So that was a big step, I think. And also, you you noted the hundred million for school safety, but I think there was also a hundred million for mental health grants as well. All big issues uh, yeah. across the nation and, and in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. Also, sir, you mentioned uh, you know <laughs> Democrat governor wanted to do a lot of spending. Happens to be an election year. We've got one of your colleagues, Senator Doug Mastriano, as the Republican nominee, and on the Democrat side is Attorney General Josh Shapiro. Can you give your thoughts on that race and what you think and what what does it mean for I know you're a Republican so what does it mean for Republicans to say eh, maybe I'm not as excited as I should be or I think I should stay home and not vote this election seems really really important to me It is extremely important that we get a turnout and that we if you if you are comfortable and you're happy with the way things have gone over the past what four eight years uh, then yeah, don't turn out and vote and don't vote. You know, but if you 
if any if it's any indication of what happened to us during the pandemic, during the shutdown, uh, during this rise of inflation, uh, it's it's absolutely incredulous to me the policies that are being put in place by this Democratic administration and what will be put in place even further uh, by another Democratic administration. So it is absolutely crucial that we get out to to vote and ensure if we can have a Republican in the governor's mansion, it will benefit Pennsylvanians tremendously. Uh, there's a constant fight against this administration for common sense things like energy independence. This governor unilaterally put us into the regional greenhouse gas initiative with states like New Jersey and New York that will make our energy prices skyrocket. He is, you know, has a, a war on coal, it seems. I mean, it's just these nonsensical policies that are put in place that are you know, only going to inhibit Pennsylvanians whenever you get your utility bills and when you're just, you know, simply going to the grocery store. And the only, the only small glimmer of hope throughout this and why Pennsylvania has been able to enjoy benefits through their economy, through growth, is the Republican Senate and the Republican House that is able to say, you know, be the adults in the room and say, look, we should not spend more than we have. We need to uh, establish policies that make sense, that will benefit Pennsylvanians, not just tax and spend and expect uh, you know, these rates just come out of nowhere. Right. Well, with that, sir, we're going to take a break, but when, when we come back, we're going to finish up with you. We appreciate it, sir. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Lifespan Family Services, located in the Dubois Mall for local adoption and foster care services. Each day in Pennsylvania, there's at least 15,000 children taken from their homes due to abuse or neglect. Foster parents provide homes to these needy children. Lifespan Family Services trains, supports, and compensates foster parents to address this problem. Call Lifespan Family Services today at 375-1314 or drop in at the Dubois Mall or at Lane Avenue in Punxsutawney. Lifespan Family Services, helping people help children every day. 375-1314. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. Having a great conversation with State Senator Wayne Langerhalk, who will become our new state senator in January uh, due to redistricting. Sir, we left off with you talking about the importance of the governor's race. You mentioned the House and Senate. We're not veto-proof yet, but we definitely, seems like we have a chance uh, or could expand our majorities in the House and Senate. Uh, kind of want to get your final thoughts here in the last uh, three minutes that we have on that and uh, anything you'd like to say to your new constituents. Uh, I'm excited to represent these new portions of Clearfield as well as Center County. And my policy that I've always uh, taken uh, from since being elected in 2016 is I am accessible, I'm available, uh, I look forward to meeting with with you and if you have any concerns or any state-related matter please do not hesitate to reach out to my office we have currently we have an office uh, in bedford an office in johnstown an office in clearfield and now as we lose bedford we're going to be looking to uh, open up additional offices and be more accessible uh, one thing that we're looking at is you know having some uh, maybe some satellite offices up in the dubois area as well until we can kind of get situated here but again i cannot stress that enough i'm here to represent you i want to hear from you i want to uh you know help you in any related matter or in any uh area and look to uh, develop sound economic policies 
and grow this region and ensure that this region uh, benefits. Yes, and so we just really appreciate you making time for us this morning, sir. We know you're busy. Um, are you in Harrisburg today or are you back home in Johnstown? I am in the district office in uh, Johnstown. I have some, uh, some meetings today and a, and a hearing later this afternoon. So we're back in session next week. So we'll be back in Harrisburg and uh, look forward to uh, working on some policies here to uh, as we, we close out this year, and one of them being that bridge tolling that we talked about because it's so important to get something in place to fund that bridge because PennDOT, even though we have stopped the bridge tolling, they still want to go forward with this Australian company, which right. makes absolutely zero sense to me, which creates a $3 billion project into a $9 billion project and does not employ any Pennsylvania workers. So my goal is to get some type of bonding in place here to ensure that this, these bridges can be paid for and the Pennsylvania companies, the Pennsylvania families, and Pennsylvania citizens will benefit from the investment in these bridges, not some Australian firm that comes in uh, and, and nickels and dimes are subcontractors. Nope. We have great Pennsylvania companies here that can do the work. We have you know Pennsylvania companies that employ with great family-sustaining jobs. That's my focus, is getting these Pennsylvania companies in, getting them to work, and allowing Pennsylvania residents. All right, sir. Well, that's a great thought, and we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for being our guest, and we'll see you next week on Contact.